Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. Hi there, welcome to the Business of Learning. I'm Sarah Gallo, an editor at Training Industry. And I'm Taryn H. DeLong, managing editor of digital content at Training Industry. This episode of the Business of Learning is sponsored by Cross Knowledge. Cross Knowledge empowers global organizations to continuously develop a skilled workforce with a multi-awarded digital learning solution. CrossKnowledge uniquely combines digital content for the most in-demand skills, a powerful learning platform, and expert capabilities to create impactful learning experiences. For over 20 years, CrossKnowledge is recognized as a true partner for effective skill building at scale with unmatched expertise and accountability. CrossKnowledge is part of Wiley, a leader in research and education, and serves 500 clients, reaching 12 million learners. Developed in the 1980s, the 70-20-10 model, which states that employees get 70% of their knowledge from on-the-job experiences, 20% from social interactions with others, and 10% from formal learning events is still commonly used today. Training industry recently updated the model to reflect the modern workplace and found that social learning is more important than ever. As we record this episode in March 2021, social learning is in full swing with digital collaboration tools and social networks driving a culture of peer-to-peer learning. Today, we're speaking with Casey Walters, Head of Global Professional Development at Northern Trust Corporation, Linda Kai, an experienced learning and talent executive and author of SHARE, How Organizations Can Thrive in an Age of Networked Knowledge, Power, and Relationships, and Nicole Lembo, Manager of Academic Programs at JetBlue Airways. Casey, Linda, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. All right. So to kick us off, uh, could each of you provide your definition of social learning? Uh, Casey, let's start with you. Yeah. Social learning uh, has come a long way. I mean, I think it has its roots in a theory that was developed like back in the late 70s, if, if I remember my, my learning correctly, about learning through direct observation instead of in the classroom. Um, But honestly, social learning for me really means to be learning from one another, whether that's through a mentorship, a group, a community, job shadowing. I mean, there's lots of different ways um, we can enact a, a social learning strategy. But I think it very much is, you know, learning from one another, peer to peer learning uh, is how I would define social learning. Thank you. And uh, Linda, what do you think? I think that that's said beautifully, Casey. So I'm not going to repeat. I just add uh, two things. One is I think a lot of the uh, most profound behavioral inferencing components are connected to social learning. Things like storytelling, things like reinforced by habits, all these are probably more obvious in a group learning setting. And the other thing I would point out is I think some people have associated social learning with social media-based learning. I I think that's certainly not incorrect. It's just a more narrow definition of social learning. That's a great point. It's definitely uh, what's on our minds these days, but it's so much more, and we're going to get into that. Uh, Nicole, do you have anything to add to these definitions? I mean, Casey and Linda are providing beautiful explanations of this. I, the way I look at it is, is I think that plus, if it's beyond a formalized training structure, then we can consider it social learning. It's, you know, it's, if it's not like, here's exactly how you do your job, welcome to it. 
anything beyond that is is exciting. And Casey, you're absolutely right. It's um, Bandura's social learning theory. I was just brushing up on that, and I was like, yeah, I vaguely remember learning at some point. It has its roots yes. <laughs> decades ago, so it's been around a long time. Yeah. Right, well, thank you for uh, giving us your definitions of social learning. That helps kick us off. So, um, and Nicole, this kind of goes into what you were just saying. Uh, how does it differ from what we see in more formal training programs? So I think, you know, in, in my experience, it tends to be much more self-directed by the person seeking that learning. Um, I think it's often based on a comfortable relationship or, you know, somewhere where there's really trust already. And you feel like you can go to someone and say, can you tell me about the work that you do? Or, you know, I'm, can I just talk through this with you? Or how do you approach this or that or the other thing? I think a lot of that is based on trust. Um, and it's not, you know, this, this person is an instructor in this orientation. And if you have questions, you are to go to that person. It's very, it's informal, it's self-directed. Um, I think a lot of it is, is based on kind of your level of social skills too, like not to put too fine a point on social learning with social skills, but it's, you know, I think it's something that people have to, to practice and get better at. Our, our introverts may have a harder time just approaching someone, which is why, you know, I think Casey and Linda and I are all very excited about opportunities to build social learning in at work for those that it may be a bit more difficult you know, I'm very social. I'm happy to just pop over to somebody's desk or ask them for coffee, but that's, that's not everyone's comfort level. You know? That's a great point. Linda, uh, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think um, that's, that's absolutely right. I would just add that I think in my view, formal training initiative can still have a social learning component. A couple of examples come that come to mind would be cohort-based learning, mini boards, so kind of uh, discussion forums as part of the, the formal training or learning. So the two are definitely not like, I would say, exclusive to each other. And the other point I would say is what they are good for. To some degree, I quite agree what was said, social learning, social skills. I think social learning is really good for situational-based, experience-based kind of skills. How do you develop client relationship? How do you conduct a negotiation? A lot is not just uh, black or white. So those are very good to, to use social learning techniques and, and the format. Casey, what about you? Anything to add? Yeah, I... I agree completely with Linda. I, I think pairing formal and informal together is really, uh, sometimes we don't think of the definition of blended learning in that way, but it, it, in my opinion, that is definitely blended learning. And we're seeing social learning as an extension of the formal learning, to Linda's point, in terms of cohorts, in terms of after class, if you will, after virtual class, from a reinforcement perspective, um, it works quite well to pair people up or have people in, in small groups learning from one another. The one thing I would say is, is there's certainly a difference between social learning and formal learning, but what I see sometimes happen is, and, and maybe it's inherent in the word social, is we think that it's really organic, you know, and that it doesn't take support 
or infrastructure to make it work. And I simply disagree with that. I, I really think to make social learning work, we need certain things in place. And I, I think some, some guidance, parameters, technology to help connect people to people. And I know we'll talk about that in a little bit. And it is really important to help kind of inspire social learning. A lot of people want to learn from one another, but they don't really know how to go about doing that. <laughs> you know, they don't know what questions to ask or or how to interact with others. And so helping kind of provide that support um, as much as we would for a formal learning event uh, is also important to make social learning kind of sticky and, and people to get the most out of it. Definitely. And Nicole, you mentioned something interesting about certain learners that are maybe more introverted, maybe a little bit hesitant to engage in social learning in the workplace. Do you have any tips on how we can get them engaged in these programs and really support their learning? You know, I think we are, you know, at JetBlue, we're, we are very encouraging of collaboration and we say, you know, that's part of the culture and connecting with your fellow employees, you know, we make it a cultural imperative, but what that means to someone who's uncomfortable reaching out to someone else is, you know, it's like, well, that's nice, but that's still really hard for me. I think, you know, part of it can happen during onboarding, you know, even just kind of like, like Casey and Linda have just said, like the blended approach, right? Like this person might not be your leader or your instructor when you're coming on board, but it's like your buddy, you know, like run things by them. If you want to know how the cafeteria works, great. If you want to know, you know, how to check where do you get your pay stub, things like that, like things where you might feel kind of silly asking because you might be the only person that doesn't know. I think an onboarding type of buddy system is a really great way to do that. It's like, this is why I'm here for you. Um, so I think that's a very informal way to do that. But I think, you know, beyond, beyond, I think we call them crew leaders. Sorry. I keep using our own, um, crew leaders, boss, crew member, um, <laughs> is just anyone who works at JetBlue. But, um, I think our employees getting encouragement from their leadership has been really crucial. That's been a big, big lift from my team as well. You know, like in terms of development, especially like, let's create, let's work together to create your development plan. What do you want that to look like? Let's talk about the ways in which you might be able to access this content or learn this thing or develop in this area. And, you know, sometimes that's going to be, you know, here's your online Excel class, um, but I want you to go talk to this Excel expert afterwards. You know, like putting a little bit of that direction in there for the introvert has been really helpful. I mean, I know I have a woman on my team who just never wants to bother anyone for anything. Um, and she's who I think about when, when we talk about this. And it's like, if you do put a little bit of structure in, you know, like, okay, if you want to learn more about PowerPoint, here's a LinkedIn learning class for you. But also like your colleague over here is outstanding at PowerPoint. So maybe go through that, come up with some questions and then connect with her, you know? So it's, we don't do, you know, enormous like formalized or, you know, kind of blended. I think a lot of it, we just hope happens organically. And I'm hoping that how Linda and Casey answer this question will help inform our efforts around this as well. That sounds that sounds really interesting, Nicole. What what you are describing, you know, JetBlue certainly put a lot of thought into into creating that engagement and initial kind of draw. That's really nice to to learn. Um, my thoughts are kind of alluded towards that is the the role direct managers or others can play in that process. And what we realize is sometimes people have the desire, but simply no capacity. So I think from a direct manager perspective, they certainly can play a role to create space and a capacity 
uh, free up some time for the colleague to be able to engage in social learning and peer coaching or mentoring, uh, encouraging them having that conversation in regular checking, all, the, all these are very um, helpful. Casey, did you have anything you wanted to add on? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Nicole, what you were talking about with onboarding buddies, that's where it starts for us as well. I mean, I, I think, you know, the way that we can help people realize how important that it, this is, is, is when they walk in the door, they are actually assigned an onboarding buddy. And that person serves as a mentor to them. Um, we also provide kind of informal connections with our leaders the best we can. So we have our leaders kind of demonstrating the importance of connection and mentorship and, and the like. And that's really helped kind of set the tone and the stage for the rest of the organization to realize how important that really is. We also have new hires kind of understand their learning styles and their communication styles and the like walking in the door because because of social learning, it is important to know who you are and how you communicate and how others might communicate so that you can, you know, form a bond and, and be able to communicate effectively. So that's something else that we like to do uh, with new hires so that they can kind of carry that with them throughout their whole career at Northern Trust. Yeah, those are some great tips from all of you. I think it's also important, of course, to consider social learning in a remote context, of course, with the rise of remote work right now, as we mentioned, we're recording this episode in March 2021, and many companies are still remote and may continue to be remote even after COVID. With that in mind, what tips do you have for creating a culture of social learning in a virtual environment? Yeah, I can I can start, but I think culture could be its own episode <laughs> for sure. It's, it's very, uh, there are just a lot of moving parts to creating a culture. And I would say first, you need to have a culture of, of learning um, and development, not, not just social learning. But I think, you know, focusing on people's development, you know, will inspire more of this. And, and personally, I think, and I, I'm sure we've all seen this, you know, over the last year or so, you know, engagement uh, of employees have has become critical. I mean, some people are doing fine, some are very isolated, and we all need to make connections. We need, you know, connections from a mental health perspective, you know, as well as from a productivity perspective. So I, I honestly think, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with leaders. Leaders are concerned about this. Um, I would say, at least in my organization, at, at the top of the house, they want to ensure people are happy, connected, productive, engaged. And so really social learning has been a major pillar of our learning and engagement strategy because of that. And so I think, you know, always enrolling leadership is, is a key. I think leaders are certainly the carriers of the culture. And so that's where we have engaged is at the top of the house to, to really say that learning engagement connection is at the core of what we do as a company. And then from there, you know, we can take it down to um, social learning, you know, as a strategy, uh, if you will, to help people engage. And, and so that's something that's been successful for us. Um, we do still measure engagement quite a lot. And so people know that their opinions matter. And that also kind of, you know, goes back to reinforcing the culture that you're asked about your development and, and therefore we've made that a priority. But I know there's a lot of other things we could do to influence culture, but that's just a little bit uh, about what we have done in that space. Yeah, um, I love your point 
uh, Casey, around le- enrolling leadership because that is so critical. We encountered, and I think similar to many organizations and workforce, we encounter a lot of resistance when people are just tired or juggling, and this scene was seen as another additional thing. So we changed communication around social learning being separate. To social learning, help you stay flexible, connected, as well as、uh, showing appreciation and empathy, you know, with each other. I think that really helped. And over time, I think we also widen the definition of social learning. Right, social learning not only to do the work better, but also to maintain your well-being. Also to Build a healthier relationship to manage your stress. So I think all these are are good, and all all the forms should be encouraged. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to jump in because I couldn't agree more.、Um, I think that is particularly, but what Casey and Linda have both mentioned is the impact on well-being and mental health has been so critical. And I think of you know, like first-year college research, right, tells us that the The students that are most likely to persist are the ones who feel connected to their institution, whether it's a faculty member or fellow students or you know whatever it might be. I think this is a, this remote environment is considered a new environment for almost all of us. You know there were some lucky few who were fully remote before this, but this is certainly added just a baseline. You know COVID nineteen is just a baseline level of stress for the whole world, and I think acknowledging that and. Really increasing a focus through these social channels on well-being has been really critical. You know, when the when we all first went remote, we set up virtual meetings simply to connect. Like that was the only agenda. You know, we would do one called the fun chat, and there would be like a topic each day. You know, like what was your favorite grade and why, or you know, or what was your least favorite grade and why. And I think that it helped maintain a social connection that is. Part of the informal collaboration that you get in the office. Another example, like just the other night, we had a big department meeting, and just in the last ten minutes of the meeting, leading up to five o'clock, naturally, is when everybody's brainstorm ideas just started coming flowing out. So I said, "Let's just stay on the call. If anybody wants to stay on the call, there's no obligation, but I'm going to be here just taking some notes. And if you want to just keep talking and keep fleshing out some of these ideas, then let's do it." So I think just. When you're virtual, just creating that opportunity is the most critical component. And you know, to both Casey and Linda's points, the culture has to be there for that. You know, like if you're in a culture that's like, no, 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 there will be no meetings without a purpose, then that's problematic. You know, and that is when you have to go back up to your senior leaders and be like, no, this is really critical for the well-being of our employees. And if we want productivity up, if we want You know, increased adoption of what people are learning, so that we then receive fewer learning requests, right? Which is like one of our desired outcomes of social learning. Then senior leadership has got to be on board and set the tone. Absolutely. These are some great points. I love、uh, the idea that you've all pointed to that learning, in the context of social learning, can really help not just help people do their jobs better, but really help them connect in a time that we're all. Struggling to do that—that's that's a really great point. Kind of related to that, you know, we've mentioned the the magic word engagement. So, what what do you see as the role of social learning in boosting employee engagement? You know, whether it's in a remote workplace or or not.、Uh, Linda, do you want to get us started?、Uh, so, so the question is around: Can 
social learning connect and engage employees. Yeah, I I think you know so much what we have already talked about is a is good illustration of leveraging social learning not only for the purpose of learning but really、um, to engage and to affect on a healthier. More inclusive culture. So I've personally observed the benefits on different demographics of employees and the leaders. Right, we know the pandemic, for example, has been really tough on early career colleagues who live either by themselves or in a more shared environment. So they. Typically, rely a lot on the social environment at work, and it's very easy to have a sense of isolation、um, in the past over a year. And I think an emphasis on collaborative learning in a different way provided that outlet for them to keep the social aspect of work going. And then a lot of employees, high achievers in in professional services industry. And for them, a sense of continuous improvement that they are learning from their peers and getting better, even in times of difficulty, is also very important. I, I would also share that even in our DEI work, when we are looking at bringing different perspectives together, when we frame things in a more Learning setting, learning different perspectives. You know, being open-minded, staying humble. People are more willing to listen, and they get less defensive about what others are sharing. And then, you know, we accomplish the goal、uh, better. So these are just、uh, some of my observations: how social learning is being utilized to engage and connect. I mean, I I completely agree, and I think what Linda said about inclusivity is really nailing one of the the biggest benefits of social learning. I think there's you know feeling like you know who to go to for what because of these different connections you've made through social learning is a way of feeling included and and increases your confidence. And you know it is. That is the connection. That is the engagement. You know, like if you feel confident in in your ability to do your job, or if you ever have the ability to feel confident admitting that you made a mistake, right? Like so, if you're doing some peer to peer training, and the peer who is doing the training says, "Look, when I first started this, I used to make this mistake. I used to make that mistake." That suddenly opens up. You know, just by being a little bit vulnerable, that opens up the the culture of that meeting. The culture of the team, whatever it is, to be like, look, I made a mistake, and I want to get better from it, as opposed to, it just increases psychological safety. That's what I'm trying to say overall. <laughs> Where you know, whereas when you when you have less of that, or it's more formal and, and not as blended, we were talking about earlier. I think it does tend to be like, ooh, mistakes are not quite as as okay, or you know, it's it's like you know, you just really need to get it, you need to pass that test, and that's the end. So I think the The inclusivity piece and the confidence is—I mean, if you have employees that are engaged and confident, you can't lose. Well said, Casey. What What are your thoughts? Yeah, I and I would say, well, there's certainly a direct tie, in my opinion. I mean, people—you know—we all crave a sense of belonging and and connection, as I mentioned, just even on a very, very、uh, holistic level as human beings, and so. 
this is one way, you know, to help people not only learn, but stay connected. And, and I would say, interestingly, you know, throughout the last year, I think our connections have almost been more than if they were in person because they're more intentional. So I know Linda and Nicole talked about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, you know, we are also very focused on that. And so we've had some great you know, mentoring circles and group learning discussions uh, around that topic and have really connected people that would never have been connected before. And so we've been able to share different perspectives, which everybody has just gotten so much value out of those conversations. I also agree that those kind of new to workforce and early in their career, this is, this is a very different time for them. So and I get so many of, of those folks saying, well, you know, how am I going to be visible? How am I going to drive my career, you know, from my living room couch? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know where to take my career or how to learn. And I can certainly attend live virtual training. But this is where social learning and peer-to-peer learning has really helped that group as well. Because, you know, they have been able to stay connected. And, you know, we have peer coaches. We have mentors. We have career coaches, you know, that can all be at the ready again. If, if the culture supports that and there's time and space to do that, um, we've really seen an, an increase in engagement in, in that population as well. Because it is difficult to figure out your career uh, again from you know your kitchen room table versus you know maybe being in an office and and just running into people in the hallways. But but I actually think this time, while it's been very challenging for engagement, I think we've we've spent a lot of time on it, and that's very intentional. Um, to connect people in, in a social and collaborative way. And it's had a lot of positive impacts uh, as much as we can anyway during this environment. Casey, you couldn't see me, but I was applauding you. Oh, okay. You- <laughs> <laughs> well, great. I'll take it. <laughs> being intentional, that is, I mean, mm-hmm. there is so much to that. And that's, you know, when we eventually do start heading back to offices for, you know, for those companies that are going to do that. I think that's something that I would love to see continue. Like, you know, don't just rely on running into someone in the hallway, like you said, but yes. if you be intentional about it, there's so much good that comes out of that. Agreed. I hope that's something we all carry forward uh, is just that that intentionality of what we've what we've been doing. I, I couldn't agree more, Nicole. And it's one of my missions um, to make sure that that doesn't that that doesn't stop. Yeah. And I would just say uh, that intentionality will also bring more equity in a more uh, hybrid work arrangement, right? There will be people who are not all the time in the office. Uh, how do we intentionally bring them into learning, uh, building productive environment? Great, those are some great tips from all of you and definitely couldn't be more obvious that technology plays a role in connecting all of us, right? Whether we're um, overseas or working just across the street from someone in a different location. So do you have any tips on how we can leverage technology to connect and engage our learners in social learning? I can start because my ample is, my answer is, pretty, is very simple and that I would be much more interested in hearing what Linda and Casey have to say. But I think for, for us, it's been, what is the, culturally, how are you using the technology, right? So most, most larger companies are utilizing some form of video meetings, right? But is everybody off camera? You know, like how engaged are people really? So we have what's worked for our team. And, and certainly it's, there are exceptions to this, but we have a camera on 
type of culture. And if you, you know, if you don't want it on, like if you're eating during a meeting, that's totally fine. And you don't want people to watch you eat, then by all means, that's fine. But we really, I think that's part of how, to Casey's point, we have continued to feel actually even more connected. Um, You know, my team is geographically dispersed and we used to do things just over the phone and now we do them on video. And it's, I think it can really enhance the, the connection. And I think conversely, if you're not using or leveraging your technology appropriately, it can really serve to disconnect people. So, I mean, I think being on video has been probably the biggest thing for us and utilizing like all the chat functions that come along with that and allowing for a little bit of silliness, like, you know, throwing an emoji in during a meeting chat or, you know, things like that, just really trying to keep it as friendly as it might be were it in person. Definitely. Linda, Casey, did you have anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, I clearly technology is critical to scaling um, this type of, you know, social learning again, whether it's one to one, you know, one person with one person or, or a group of people in a cohort experience. Either way, you know, if you're working for a global organization, especially, but, but you know, even, even a national one um, where you're in different locations, without technology, we're, we're certainly hamstrung. I mean, you certainly can have a conversation over the phone. I, in fact, I caught myself this year saying, remember the phone? I mean, you know, we could, we can actually <laughs> talk to one another over the phone. Let's, let's not forget that or text each other. But I do think there are so many great platforms out there now in the HR space, the learning space. And, and even if you don't have a fancy, you know, learning experience platform or, or something like that, you can use, you know, Microsoft Teams or Yammer or SharePoint even um, as a way to, you know, connect people to people and share in a synchronous or asynchronous fashion. Um, something that we've used from a peer coaching perspective, and I don't mean to plug a certain tool here because there are, there are a couple that do this, but we've used a tool called Rehearsal which I just absolutely love because what that does is you can record yourself either, you know, I know Linda talked about client service. So either you're in a client service situation and you're trying to overcome objections or, or, you know, answer difficult questions from customers, or you're a manager and you're practicing, you know, delivering difficult feedback, you can record yourself and your peer then watches that video back and and can, you know, give you constructive criticism. And it's just a nice way, you know, to use technology to really get individualized, uh, and I would say social type learning. I mean, it it might be a little bit more on the formal side, but if we think about extending it outside the classroom, it's really a nice way to to get some feedback, you know, from in a peer to peer situation. And it's something that we've used in the past, Um, we want to ramp up and and use that again in the future. Just a couple of thoughts there. Yep. Yeah, I'll just uh, add that we had a similar tool to what Casey was describing. I think it's called practice, but very similar to the rehearsal tool. We also tried a career pathing peer mentoring tool. It's a a third party platform called Field 50. And what it does is allowing people from a crowdsourcing perspective, inputting their aspiration skills and finding someone with similar background or with a role that that they aspire to, you know, go to and have a mentoring conversation. So more organic kind of peer mentoring. But I also want to say, I think it's a myth to say you need huge investment to 
implement new technologies because a lot of uh, other things we did are very incremental and really being intentional, again, using this word, where we want to have a, have a digital or technology-enabled experience. So one example would be we would still have in-person cohort-based high potential leadership training, but we would have an app and ahead of time, everyone's bio and um, habits, um, interest uh, kind of in for them to reach out and make connections uh, during the time they are they are together. So I think these are the things or every company has company directory. And how do you use that to facilitate um, connections? Mm -hmm. So I think there are a lot of ideas that are much lower hanging fruit uh, that could be considered. Melinda, I like that point a lot. I agree. There are a lot of really fancy platforms out there that look really slick, but honestly, leveraging what you already have in-house to make connections is a good way to start. I, I agree. I don't think we need, you know, multi hundred thousand dollar, million dollar investments in technology to connect people. Um, So I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and uh, an app costs probably ten grand to build yes. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really quite uh, quite inexpensive. Mm-hmm. That's such an interesting approach to almost like the pre work of a leadership development, like more formalized. Like that's so. I love that. I love that. Now you've got my wheels turning big time on that, Linda. <laughs> Right, so that uh, kind of brings me into my next question, which is uh, that social learning is obviously tends to be more informal than traditional training programs. So is there a way to measure a return on investment and uh, what tips do you have for doing that? Uh, Nicole, do you want to start? I was hoping not to. Whoops, <laughs> <laughs> <Oops>, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, I mean, in, in full transparency, I don't know that we've, we've really nailed this yet um, at, at JetBlue and I think, you know, informally there's, there's, do we see behavior changing? You know, like there's, there's anecdotal ways to do it. Like, are we seeing that, you know, someone who has gone through the blended learning approach for a leadership development training, you know, are they being successful? Are there, you know, what are their performance evaluations look like? What types of requests for training are we getting? You know, if, if social learning is and peer to peer learning is working really well, are we seeing a reduction in the type of requests that we see? On my team, personally, we, we started a peer mentoring program for participants in our program. And we're measuring that based on who's successfully getting through their first course in our program. You know, like, is that first course completion? We know that that's associated with increased attainment later on down the line. So, you know, for the group that had mentors, did we see increased outcomes for that group? And we did, which is great. But I think it depends on the size of the program. I think something that's a bit more formal or like a larger, more visible project, like a leader, like a high potential leadership development, there's going to be a lot of eyes on something like that. Um, so your measurements might be different than something for a single program. Like I just talked about, which is let's just try it out and see, <laughs> and see what the, what the difference is. So I think you know, we're, we're a lot of anecdotal right now. And of course, like what Casey was talking about earlier, measuring engagement, we do a ton of surveys throughout the year as well. And we allow one focus every six months to, to be added to the, the larger survey that goes out company-wide. So, you know, if we wanted to measure something around 
learning and support and those types of functions, it could be added in, um, but we wouldn't be able to compare it for probably another year. So I think there's actually a lot of room for growth on that. Yeah, I I would say, Nicole, you've answered that really well. And and I think ROI is always tricky. I'm like, oh, ROI. I, you know, I, I, I sometimes don't actually get asked for that, but they, but, you know, leaders want to know some kind of impact measure. And I would just say, and this is really relevant to anything you're doing, whether it's social learning or something else is, you know, it's, you've got to measure what matters. So it's got to be tied to your why, like, why are we doing social learning? So is it, is it to improve engagement and retention? Okay. If it is, then absolutely. Let's try to measure that. Now it's, it's hard to isolate something as a variable as we know, because there's so many other things that go into play with, with somebody's desire to stay or desire to go or, or happiness or, or disengagement. But I also think, yeah, if you're using social learning and management development or high potential development, then you may want to, you know, manage, you might want to measure performance or promotability or internal mobility. So I, I just always think it should be tied to the why, you know, why are you doing this? And there are many, many, many use cases and contexts as to why you might use social learning. And one of them could be, and Nicole, I know you alluded to this, is just to make the learning more sticky, you know, that to, to have people, you know, really be able to walk away and have the skills reinforced and therefore, you know, their performance improves or their behavior changes. And that's certainly something you can measure as well. But I think that, I mean, that's kind of my, my top line is there are many reasons, you know, to use social learning. And so I would always want to measure back to what is it we were trying to achieve in the first place, which, which could be pretty broad, uh, honestly. But uh, that's, that's how I typically measure success anyway, is, is based upon, you know, what objectives we were trying to meet at the front end. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, really well said, the, the why behind, you know, what I'll just say that in my view, the why would be the well-being, the sense of belonging and the connectivity of the workforce. And at least that's how you know, I would like to build a business case and continue push for endorsement and sponsorship around this. I also think that there are many ways we can, on a more ongoing basis, keep the pulse on how the organization and employees are feeling. So that hopefully will provide more data to the benefit of social learning, not maybe kind of so precise as in dollar to dollar kind of input output, more industrialist kind of fashion. But I think that is, that is a way to change leadership's perception on learning as well, right? Do you think it's still an expense, a cost, or it's an investment? Great. Well, to wrap things up today, how do each of you see social learning evolving in the future of work? And what trends should we and our listeners be looking out for? I firmly believe this will be increasing more and more. It will become a, a norm as social media has already become in our personal lives. I think in a digital age where AI robotics are replacing a lot of the mundane data-driven kind of jobs, the critical skills we're looking at are those best learned in a social learning environment. Things like social skills, things like you know, using human judgment, things are situational based. 
So yeah, I, I totally think that as a learning function, we have a huge role to play, kind of educating our leaders and organizations, being prepared for different ways to pilot, to test, to experiment, and just create that environment when people turn to us and say, hey, I would like to do this. We will be like, yeah, we've got that. I would love my team to, to be able to do that. Nicole, Casey, did you want to add anything on? Um, sure. So I think the way that I think about it, like it really to me screams like talent management. And I think, you know, to Casey's point about intentionality and Linda's point about connectedness and well-being, I think in these future hybrid work environments that I think the majority of us are probably going to end up in, I think that it's going to become more and more critical, but I can see it from like a talent management performance management perspective, you know, asking someone to be that peer-to-peer trainer or that mentor is a development opportunity. You know, like so much comes out of explaining something to someone else. It really helps you deepen your own knowledge if you can explain it to someone else. And I mean, I think that's like the purpose of the buddy system or the work, you know, the peer mentor or whatever, whatever you want to set it up as, whatever the need is to Casey's point, what is the why? I think that is really the focus shouldn't just be on the learner in that in that situation. That's, you know, of course, we want that learner to learn what they need to learn and be able to apply it and all of that. But I think focusing on it as a development opportunity in a way to kind of deepen expertise and then also potentially, you know, maybe that helps you move around within the company as well. I think that could be huge. I would love to see that as as part of like individualized development plans supporting other learners. Yeah, I think Nicole, that's a really good point and something that we haven't done but but are looking at cuz I agree, I you know, when we talk about let's just say mentoring as as a social learning tactic if you will, I mean the mentor gets as much out of it as as the mentee and you know, sometimes when we talk about being a senior leader we think, you know, being a mentor or teaching back or, or giving back to the organization is part of being a senior leader in an organization. And, and I agree that that's becoming more important. And, and to Linda's point, you know, learning as a skill or learning agility as a skill has become hyper important. So it, it's almost as important to know your your deep technical skills as it is to be agile, always learning, problem solving, critical thinking. I mean, all the things that we tend to be focusing on at the moment. So learning as a skill is becoming more and more important because we have to adapt so much. And I do think, you know, social learning will continue to tip the scales. I know we talk about 70-20-10 and it's interesting. I have to admit, I've never gotten to 70-20-10. I, I wish I have, um, but that 10% still kind of dominates, you know, some of the learning strategy that we offer. There's a lot of formal learning happening but I think the reason people love right now live virtual learning is because of the connections that they can make with other human beings. So they're not, you know, sitting in front of their computer taking self-paced learning. It is an opportunity to learn and connect. So we know that this is what people crave. So we just need to enable and architect experiences more for people to connect with people. And I do think that's going to be the way going forward. I, I think if you're moving toward a more teams-based 
kind of culture, uh, certainly this is going to matter even more as we look at gig work and internal opportunities where people can stretch themselves on the job and learn from others and then teach others behind them. I really do think this is going to start to take over. And, and for those of us who still aren't only doing 10%, but that 10% is, is a little bit more toward 50 plus percent, I think you're going to see the, the needle move on that more and more uh, just out of necessity. Uh, but again, I, I think it's, it's becoming pretty ingrained in, in cultures that this is what we need to do to survive. Casey, I couldn't agree more. And I think the, your point about having that formal learning take up a bit more air than we yeah. ideally want it to, mm-hmm. I think that's something that we can be on the lookout for as well as the impact on social learning of social learning on that more formalized training. Like, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that blend more and more because, you know, the whole like sit in this classroom while the facilitator tells you what you need to know, it doesn't, it's not very effective. Um, I think, you know, we've got about a 15 minute attention span on something, right? Like that. Whereas, whereas, you know, more interactive and breakout sessions and things like that, that can be built into those formalized classroom sessions. Like that is social learning coming into the formalized classroom setting. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think it needs to inform a lot of that that 10% that's really 50%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm excited to see how social learning evolves alongside the way the way that we work in the future. So that wraps up this episode of the Business of Learning. Nicole, Linda, Casey, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Oh, this yeah, has been great. Thank us. you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. This was great. Perfect. And would you mind sharing where our listeners can find you online if they want to connect with you? Well, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I'm just on LinkedIn. (laughs) Name is Nicole Lembo, L-E-M-B-O. Perfect. Love to chat. Yeah, same here. And I have a middle name, Jing Fang, J-I-N-G-F-A-N-G. But yeah, you should be able to find me. Yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn, K-A-C-I-E, Walters, like Barbara Walters uh, is what I always say. So you can find me there, but I also publish a blog weekly at caseywalters.substack.com. But you can find that on LinkedIn every Sunday as well, if you'd like to, to follow me there. Oh, awesome. Casey, I have to read your blog. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went there. I started. Oh, you did? Well, fabulous. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. When you mentioned, I was like, wait, what is Substack? I didn't know what that was. So yep. I was like, oh, this is so cool that it's like, there's a different topic every week. Highly recommend yes. it, everyone. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you thank for you, the everyone. shout out. Have a good weekend. For more insights on social learning, check out the show notes for this episode at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. We'll talk to you next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.